Is it coming to you live on tape? I don't know if that matters to you. It shouldn't matter to you. Uh, the most important part of what we've got going on today, aside from my friend Mike Stallings, who's on the line. Mike, are you excited for today? I am, absolutely. We're wrapping up a lazy Sunday to you know, a different level than normal. Absolutely. And, and one of the nice parts about doing a show like this is you get the opportunity to talk with a, a number of different individuals, a number of different people who have different experiences. And I'm excited today because we have somebody who can relate to us, not just on the pro wrestling level, but on the MMA level. And also, uh, as we're going to come to find out, even from the military level, which I'm excited to get to hear all of these things and how they all relate. So let us go ahead and welcome our friend, Eddie Witcher. Eddie, how are you doing today, sir? I'm great, man. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me on the show. It's uh, really nice to get to, to put my story out there and to get a get to talk with some people who have some you know similar interests and stuff like that. It's, it's a lot of fun. I'm Absolutely. And I need to ask this right up top because I think it's very important to get there. Um, are we speaking with the correct Eddie Witcher? Because According to Facebook, there <laughs> might be another version of you, and I got scared for a second if we were going to talk to the fake one. No, as far as I know, I'm the real one. If I'm not, then I'm wearing somebody else's underwear. Okay. But uh, if it, I, I did find uh, about, oh, man, I want to say it was three or four months ago, I found out there was another person posing as me. I emailed him. I'm like, hey, I don't, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the real me. I had that Douglas Quaid moment from uh, Total Recall. <laughs> And uh, I'm like, well, no, if you're, if you're trying to, like, meet a chick or get, get her to buy you something, I mean, like, you know, what's going on the deal? And the guy never emailed me back. So that's kind of became a running joke was that uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm the real Eddie or not, but I'll show up and take his bookings. Well, honestly, I'm just surprised why you didn't call him out to a match. Like, why didn't you call him out right then and there? And it's like, if you're really me, why won't you meet me this Sunday at the Elimination Chamber? That would have been funny, but, I mean, most of the time, uh, people people look at me or they'll, like, whatever, and they, when they realize, they think I'm being I'm mean or aggressive or something, they get kind of like, oh, yeah, I don't know, I don't want to deal with this. They don't realize I'm actually a really, really nice guy unless stuff goes sideways. His name so is Eddie. He, he, read it, he spelled his name Eddie Ritten. Is that an yeah, easily? Yeah, it was like um, – W was a W R I T T E N or something like that, and uh, it was funny. He had pictures from when I was in in Moscow with the USA Samo team. He had some pictures, uh, just random pictures of my, off my Instagram, and I'm like, well, at least he used decent ones where I didn't look like crap in them or something, you know? Like, <laughs> so you know, got to give him a little bit of credit. Are you I mean, you, well, you know, you hate it when somebody picks a picture of you and you're like, you're like, you're taking a deep breath, and you're, it looks like you got a big old belly, or you're you're ticking your nose or something like that. I my mom loves taking pictures like that. She like waits for you to do something embarrassing, and then that's the the Facebook picture she posts about how she's proud of her son or her daughter or all this stuff. Or yeah. So in theory, in theory, should be flattered, but in execution, it seems unflattering. I guess. Well, I guess she she wants to do the candid moments thing, but yeah. So the Eddie Written guy, I uh, tried to get a hold of him. He wouldn't. Nothing. It was a. There was an Instagram, there was a Facebook, and there was something else. And I'm like, well, okay, so that's how I got to be Eddie Wittern underscore official at, uh, on Instagram. <laughs> like, I never, I never thought I was going to have to, like, well, maybe, maybe on the outside chance in, like, years, but not, like, as just a independent wrestler, you know, doing little shows, have to be the official whoever I am. You know, it's like, 
What? No. Come on now. I take Not it as a compliment because it took The Undertaker at least six years to have someone appear as him and confront him. And That's true. You, you bypassed that very quickly, sir. That is true. It was it was kind of funny. I uh, it, it was uh, a little bit shocking. I was like, well, then he had like some female friends on his site on his page, and I'm like, wait a minute, these females are probably fake females, but they're pretending to be somebody else. So then it was it was just a, uh, I'm like, so who who is is this person? All of these people? Is he none of these people? Who, who is this guy? It was a, uh, it was very strange. Well, I'm glad you were able to clear that up for us. And let us know that you're the real you. So I feel very welcomed in knowing that because I believe the real you has a fascinating story uh, that we should begin by asking this. Because you, you, you dropped the mention of Sambo and we're going to get to that as well. I also mentioned you, you've you done the whole jiu-jitsu side. Um, you're a professional wrestler now, but let's start at the very beginning. Where does professional wrestling start for you in your life? Well, um, I remember I was about probably six or seven years old. And uh, one of my first memories of reading stuff on my own was uh, my dad gave me a pro wrestling magazine. It had, uh, was talking about Hulk Hogan, about how his real name is Terry Bollea and all this other stuff. And that was uh, one of my first memories of that because I'd, I'd always watched it growing up but didn't really remember it. And then uh, fast forward years later, it was uh, 2002 or 2000, yeah, 2002, I was in um, Corpus Christi, Texas, and I was driving, I was, I just broke up with my girlfriend, I was having like a rough go of, of life in general, I didn't know what I was going to do, and then uh, I was driving down the road, and I saw this place, it was the uh, El Placido Ballroom off of Ayers in Corpus Christi, and I decided it said, female cage wrestling, and I'm like, I know what all of those words mean, but I don't know what that sign means. So I went in to check it out, and there was Chavo Guerrero Sr. sitting there. And he goes, you're kind of a big dude. And I'm like, you're Chavo Guerrero Sr. He goes, hey, you come back Monday. We'll see if we can train you. I'm like, oh, okay. So then I came back Monday and started training, and that's when I originally started pro wrestling training back in uh, Corpus Christi in 2002. And then um, fast forward to 2004, uh, no, I'm sorry, 2005, I joined the Army. By then, I'd already done a bunch of amateur MMA fights. I'd already been um, doing judo like since I was six years old. I had been um, to nationals a couple times for judo. I placed third, and I think I placed fifth in nationals. Um, then I got in the army, started doing army combatives. Did all the way up to level three army combatives. Went to the all army combatives championships. Um, I, did, I got hurt. I had broken ribs in the. Uh, the last round of Pancrase, like before the finals. So if I'd have won that match, I'd have fought Brandon Sales for the heavyweight title in 2008. Then um, fast forward a little bit more. I went to Iraq. I, uh, my job in Iraq, I was a combat medic assigned to the 47 Combat Sport Hospital. I was teaching combatives there and uh, uh, was competing as much as I could. Uh, they would have, we would have small tournaments on the base and between other bases when the Marines and the Special Forces guys would come around. And I got to work with some of those guys. We fast forward a little bit more um, at Fort Hood in 2000, uh, 2010, and uh, I was deployed again. Came back 2012. I got um, I was in the Warrior Transition Unit, and I got to work at the Flight House full time. So I was teaching combatants full time in the process of getting medically retired from the Army. And then uh, 
got into full-time MMA where I was training and doing competitions and all that good stuff. I know this is kind of a rambling story, but I promise I'm getting to how I got to pro wrestling, right? So um, had a couple amateur fights. Had a, was, while I was doing jiu-jitsu also, I won, um, I won the Purple Belt uh, Nogi World Championships two times in a row. Uh, I won it once at Absolute, and I won it, I won it once at my division. Then I was like, okay, well, I got to go pro. So I had about four pro MMA fights, and I couldn't get any more MMA fights at 205. So I was like, okay, well, here we are, 2016, can't get any fights. Why don't I try pro wrestling again? One of my buddies was training in, uh, in Austin. So I showed up, and uh, I, I think I trained for about three weeks, and they put me on the next show. <laughs> and then uh, that was <laughs> – well, I kind of have a distinctive look to me that you, you can't train somebody to just show up and look like that. You know what I mean? Sure. So I, uh, I don't have a neck and mostly arms and shoulders. So, you know, I'm one of those guys. So we, uh, they were like, yeah, well, you know, this and that. I'm like, all right, cool. So that's how I started into pro wrestling again. And then that was, that's been almost two years ago. All right. You gave us a lot to unpackage here. It's not so Sorry. much. No, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. I like packages. I like puzzles. Uh, the thing is, you just gave us so much information. Like, how are you going to gloss over the fact that you just casually were hanging out with Chavo Guerrero? And right. Here's the thing, Raph, you put it out there at the very beginning that this was going to be related to all of us. Could you imagine juggling all of that at once? You figured that he'd be in the Army first and then go after? No, he decided to do the Army after he did the pro wrestling. Then he had all that going on. So (laughs) I've been sleeping. Yeah, I'm a little bit eclectic. (laughs) <laughs> you could say that. Well, then we're also. I love how it's a very casual reference to. Oh, by the way, this whole judo thing that happens too. Because when you talk about people who do MMA and jiu-jitsu, they're tough people to begin with. But then you add in sambo, and I feel like sambo is another level of crazy that most people don't know or talk about. Oh yeah, that that being uh, combat sambo. You know, you got MMA, all the MMA stuff, but then you also got headbutts and elbows and all of a sudden he's like, wait, what? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. No, no. I'm just making sure I understood. Yeah. <laughs> so it was yeah. deep within you at the very beginning. Let's discuss when you start training. What is training at the very beginning like for you? Because as I'm starting to understand this, you know, we're, we're dating this all the way back to what, 2002? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What is the impetus that makes you really want to start training? I know having good people and being around that kind of area has to be an encouraging thing, but why do it? It's a crazy career. You know that now, especially, but what, what is the impulse of doing it? What's the impulse that takes you from fan to person who wants to put on a show? Well, at the, um, every, okay. So I guess short answer is video games. Everybody plays the video games and is like, you know what? this is awesome. I just made my creative character, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, for those of us who have been physical and know that they can, they can do stuff that they're physically active. They can, it's like, okay, well, why don't I give it a shot? And at least if I, I can't make it work, at least I tried, then I can't, I'm not that guy who said I would have, but I got an arrow in my knee. You know what I mean? It's like, I know for a fact I'd wanted to try it. I tried it either it worked or it doesn't work, you know? Um, that's my, how do you call it? That's my, uh, I guess, theory behind a lot of things. That uh, if, I, if I don't know, I'm going to try it. And if it doesn't work, okay, great. But at least I tried. I don't have the, 
well, I, I would have wanted to, but, you know, um, so that was the thing. I showed up and the training was physically difficult and physically demanding. So I'm like, okay, well, that's good. That means it's difficult. So it's worth having moving, you know, going forward. I kept on, I kept on with it. And then, uh, I didn't get to train for as long as I wanted, but then I had one of happened to move back to the Midwest. Um, there was some situations changing with my dad and I couldn't finish my training then. So I only got to train for about four or five months. And generally you want to train for about a year of pro wrestling before you're, you're working matches and stuff like that. So that way you get the basics down and you kind of understand the psychology and how to set up for moves and you don't have to, well, just like in jujitsu, the same thing, you know, you need to understand where, where you need to be for stuff. Yeah. See, that's where I got confused. I got confused of what you were training for. I mean, you've trained for so many things. How do you, how do you juggle all that? The drive to be good at everything. Well, you, um, you think, okay, well, you see something, you want to do it, and it's like, okay, well, can I, is it worth trying? Is it worth doing? And then anything that's worth doing, or it's worth overdoing. So you put everything you got into it, and you, you want to you be the best you can be. So, Eddie, okay, forgive me if you, you mentioned this earlier, but were you doing sports as a kid? And if so, which sports were you doing? Best sports. Growing up, I, uh, and from about, about six years old until, crap, now, I guess, uh, I've done grappling in some form or fashion. I started out in a traditional, traditional Olympic-style judo, and um, the Olympic-style judo back then in the uh, late, I guess, the early 90s into the 2000s was a lot different than judo is now. Judo, when I grew up, was like Brazilian jiu-jitsu is now. You would go, you would, you would do your techniques and you would roll. And we would go to the ground and we would roll to the ground. But the thing is, it usually started with tossing somebody on their ass first. So now, um, at least the Olympic style judo places I go, there's no grappling. There's not as much grappling. They, they treat it like it's the, the plague, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, different. And, uh, it's just a little strange. Uh, then, so I grew up doing that. And then in about sixth grade, I started uh, amateur wrestling, like high school wrestling. And um, I loved high school wrestling. It was great. I wrestled um, middle school and then all the way through high school. And then I wrestled a little bit at uh, an intramural, intramural level in college. Um, it, uh, I liked that. And that's where I really got into Noki Jiu-Jitsu. And I got, I guess would be the, the first experience I got with grappling without, you know, without the, the pajamas on, which I personally love. I think it's, it's my favorite thing in the whole world. I love no beach. Um, that's, uh, so that's kind of where that whole thing came from. Um, I did, ever since I was a little kid, growing up watching Hulk Hogan and stuff like that, I wanted to be six foot eight and 300 pounds. But I kind of topped out around 5'10", and I kind of walked around around 215. So I never really got that much bigger. But I got, I was still fighting heavyweight guys because in the Army and in high school wrestling, over 189, it was heavyweight. Yeah. So in high school, I wrestled heavyweight all the way through high school. I was two, 205 wrestling 260-pound guys. In the Army, I was fighting at uh, heavyweight in combatives. Uh, it's about 220 fighting. So the biggest guy I fought in the Army weighed 294 pounds, and I beat him on points 9 to 4. Nice. Dude, in high school, that's and, uh, super, super jacked. In high school? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, here's what I want to point now. out to you. Like right now, I'm hovering at about 185, and I'm about five eight five nine, and I'm looking at somebody like you, and you're the right. reason why I don't want to go up any higher. Like I want to stay. Like, <laughs> if I get the scale and I get to like to rate, like I think I woke up this morning at like 150 or 185.9, and I was like, nope immediately go to wrestling it was just like put me through hell and they're like why i was like because i'm at that point where you get too close to the big guys if they start looking at me and you and they go well let's let the the bigger guys go i'm gonna be like no we're different levels he is right close in maybe height but i know when people tell me i don't have a neck it's because i have a large head you actually do not have a neck. (laughs) it's a very different yeah it's very very hard to wear uh, suits and ties. I had my um, my first look by the WWE was earlier this month. Or sorry, we're in February now. It was in January. I had to wear a suit and tie when I went to the thing. And the problem is, my chin is about three inches below the top of my traps, and it's very hard to wear a tie and be able to breathe. It's a little odd. Yeah, but Vince loves that kind of stuff. Yeah, you it totally was, it was have, really you totally have the, the look for that. And if we're if I'm not mistaken, you were front row center for when Braun yes, did I was. the, the yeah. Michael Cole spot. That's big. Yep. Uh, actually, uh, Triple H was like, "All right, guys," and he's chewing his gum. He's like, "All right, guys, who's the who, who here does like catching guys as their gimmick?" And like three of us raised our hand, and he looked at the guys. And he's like, "All right, you don't have a neck. What, what do you bench?" I'm like, uh, "Around 495." He goes, "Yeah, you're catching him." All right, you guys just back up behind him and you know make sure that he looks good when he falls into you guys. And he's sitting there chewing gum the whole time, and then he looks at me, and goes, "You know, you know, yeah, a lot of guys in the back. If uh, you know, you drop Michael Cole, you probably get in good with them guys." And Michael Cole's like, gets his eyes all big, and uh, I just smile. Okay, yeah, I appreciate that, sir. Thank you. And I'm like, and all the guys are like, was he fucking serious? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I am not dropping this dude. <laughs> it had it across your mind, though, for a second. Like, I... it, it really did. I'm like, is he telling me to drop this motherfucker? Like, <laughs> did, did I just get, did I just get the soft, the soft yeah. touch by Triple H? The green, the green like, light to drop Michael Cole. Yeah, it was. I was like, I'm, I'm not even gonna. I'm it's gonna like when people start using double negatives, and they're just like, "It'd be great if you could not not drop yeah. Michael Cole, but you don't have to." And you'd right. be like, "I hold on, I got the first part. I know that's a double negative. The second part, are you winking at me now? I don't understand this." Uh, I heard a great joke today, which was that he told uh, Jerry the King Lawler at a recent show. He was like, I think it was Royal Rumble when he was uh, on standby in gorilla position. And he goes, hey, King, try not to fall asleep out there. Yeah, that's great. And I thought, well, that kind of shows. So this is pretty concurrent with uh, what you're saying here. But I, I want to stop here because was that you doing a Triple H impression? Yeah, that was me doing a Triple H impression. That's just exactly how he was when we were, when we were talking. It's not bad. Um, I mean, here's the thing, Mike. You yeah, might, you might understand. I thought it was real solid. I was going to comment on that, too. The whole chewing the gum thing. It was, I felt like I was there. I know. I that, I was 100% doing that. And the sad part is, I, here I was going to sneak in my Vince McMahon impression, and I was waiting to do that. And all of a sudden, I hear him do his Triple H, and I just go, like, I need to stand down. <laughs> well, like a see, I, piano. All the guys who are, um, all the guys who are, like, pro wrestling fans and stuff like that, and it, I couldn't, and I don't try to do the Triple H voice when I do that, 
But every time I've told that story, I've done it exactly like that. I'm like, I don't know why I'm trying to, I'm, I'm using a triple H like impression, but that's just how it was. And, um, and I'm like, geez, I'm, I, I'll, well, I have also a really embarrassing story. So, um, about the same, the same tryout or not, tri- uh, extra work is what it's called. I was technically an extra. I wasn't technically in the tryout, but, uh, so Mickey James, right. But from back in the day, she's, she's hot. She's like really, really hot. I, I had a crush on her. Right. So I'm walking around trying to find the extra dressing room and uh, I'm looking at the signs because there's like tape signs on the walls, like extra dressing room uh, and catering all this stuff in all these opposite directions. And out of the corner of my eye, she looks like Mickey James. Holy shit. That's Mickey James. Half that came out in real, like of my mouth, not just in my head. <laughs> and she stopped, looked me square in the face and said, I'm sorry. What honey? I'm like, no, no, babe. I was just reading the sign over your head. I apologize. I, I was just reading. I got confused when I was reading out loud. Oh, okay. And she kept walking. The guy that was walking next to me just kept walking. Cause he goes, you're about to crash and burn. I don't want to be involved in this. And he looks over his shoulder. And he's like, he just slow claps. He's like, you recovered that very nicely. I'm like, thank you. I am a pro wrestler. <laughs> and he just shook his head. Cause he was a pro wrestler too. And we kept walking, but it was so embarrassing. I'm like, God damn it. Cause in the whole rest of the day in the catering, she was looking at me, fun. not funny, but she was like staring at me like, who is this guy? Like, what what is he doing here? I'm like, oh jeez. I love how you're just still resi- residually embarrassed from it. So when you like really think about it, how that feeling washes over you, no matter. Oh yeah. Oh, well, you know, anytime you make yourself look foolish in front of somebody you had a crush on in high school, it makes you kind of like, shucks. I thought I was gonna get cooler than this at some point. I, I was way wrong. Spent an hour talking to Kelly Kelly. I had no idea. I had a, one of my servers tell me that it was actually Kelly Kelly, who I've been watching on TV for eight years, just <laughs> oblivious to life. <laughs> That's great. I, um, yeah, the, the whole situation with the, the being an, not an extra, or well, being an extra with the WWE and all that stuff, that was really awesome. It gave me a lot of perspective. Um, okay, so being my, my shoot, my real life height and weight, about, a little under, a little, little over five ten, and a little over, depending on where, how I eat and stuff. A little over um, two fifteen. I hover between uh, two ten and two fifteen, uh, depending on if I'm getting ready for a contest or what I'm doing. And so um, these guys are all like, you know, they're giants. But then I was in the locker room and I'm like, hey, not so much. Some of these guys aren't as big as I thought they were. So that kind of gave me a little bit of hope. Like, okay, well. I don't feel so bad. Maybe I can actually, I'm actually, I will fit in here. So that was kind of cool. But uh, the only guy that I, I met that I thought was a giant, I'm like, holy crap, you're huge, was Shane McMahon. That dude is legit 6'4 and legit 250 pounds. He Tell me that's big, who you thought he was going to say, Raph. Out of all the people, that was the first person that popped into your head was Shane McMahon. And I have to agree here because if you're looking at Shane and that's what you take away from all of the monsters and you're just like, well, that guy is fairly big. Uh, It is larger than life in many different ways. Um, What was you? Did you enjoy doing that? Like, what was it like to get that call that they were interested in having you come through? Well, uh, I got it was an email from the um, guy. uh, He's one of their uh, he's one of the referees is who he is, but he handles all the extra relations. I got the email the first time and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, this is bullshit. Whatever. One of my friends is ribbing me. And then I went back and I read it. I'm like, Oh wait, no shit. This is serious. Uh, okay. Crap. 
crap, crap, crap. And then I'm like, Hey, Bryson, uh, one of my tag team partner. I'm like, did you get the email? He goes, yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. So I'll know somebody there. And then, so he had been on the WWE before as an extra, like uh, a couple of times. And then he had, um, a tryout match on two Oh five live. So I'm like, okay, Hey, what do I need? What do I don't need? You know, run it, run me through it. He's also in the documentary with me. He's the little, little skinny guy. And, uh, so it's like, all right, cool. So then, um, I, everybody else was looking at it like, Oh, this is our, our one shot, you know, like talking about like it's eight mile and they're, they're Eminem getting ready to go rap at the thing. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, we're going to make 200 bucks a day and I get to eat free steak. Um, mom's that's spaghetti. pretty fucking, that's pretty metal. You know, like that's more what I was worried about. Like I was more excited, honestly, to learn stuff from seeing the guys and to eat free steak and get paid. So that for me, that was the, that was the big part, like what I was most excited about. And then, so getting there and getting to be on TV, that was great. And, uh, it was, that was awesome. It was an amazing experience. Like listening to the guys, how the, the, the high level guys set up matches and how they are, the way they do their stuff. And, it, and that was great. But awesome. honestly though, catering was great. They had uh, like, uh, it was like a two foot, two foot wide by like three foot or f- uh, four foot, like plate thing full of ribeyes and no no adults to tell me hey don't eat all that so it was great it was like uh steak and broccoli all day for two days and then i i made a bunch of i made a bunch of money so i was like yay all the success <laughs> i so, wonder yeah that is truly what i believe they've defined as success in every uh get rich book it's like get the dubs to pay for your uh-huh. meals with broccoli and steak i just have to say this as a performer oh, yeah. and a jiu-jitsu guy I can't put a ton of food in my stomach because I, for both reasons, if I'm doing comedy, I just like to have, you know, a little bit of hunger to me. And then if I'm doing jujitsu, the minute somebody does knee on belly pressure, I'm just like, why did I have that Snickers? Like that was the worst (laughs) choice. I totally understand that. And it's not even anything major. It's just like, oh my God, I had a candy bar. Uh, (laughs) the worst. So, that's what happens in my world, but I guess we live very different lives where you right. just pound a steak and you're just like, I'm good. But speaking of living different lives, I want to ask this because it's so important to know where the story begins a different chapter for us because I, I believe that paves the way for so much of what happened in your life. What was the reason you decided to go and uh, serve the country? Like, what? How did that happen? Especially if you were already starting to do what was looking like your passion at the time in that of pro wrestling? Um, well, so, uh, my dad was in the army. He was in, uh, he was in uh, like from the time I was a, a baby. Uh, I believe he joined right before I was born. And then he was in the army all the way up until I guess it was 92, 91, 92. So, uh, from 83 to 92. And, uh, I grew up on military bases and stuff like that. And I was around that. I knew at some point in my life, I was definitely going to be in the military. And this is all looking at it in the rose colored glasses of the pre nine 11 world. Right. So then, um, in high school, I joined the delayed entry program, joined the national guard. I did all this stuff with everybody else. We were going to go to basic training and do all that other stuff. First time I went to basic training, I, I, uh, separated my shoulder and because I was a delayed entry program kid and I was a national guard kid, I had to go back to high school. They sent me home early, went home, got home. I was being stupid with my buddies. I got a minor in possession. I think I got caught with beer or something like that. And I got, because I was in the national guard, because it was before September 11th, 2001, all that stuff. I got 
I got kicked out of the National Guard. September 11th happens. Dude, guys, what can we do? Whatever. Well, you got to wait. Okay, damn it. So then September 11th happened. It's like, damn it, I knew I needed to be there, blah, blah, blah. So I've always had a bit of guilt about that, about not being able to been deployed with the first guys that went over, right? So then fast forward to when I finally was able to get back in the military, it was in 2005. And then that was the thing. All I wanted to do was deploy, you know? So I started the National Guard in, in Iowa because that's where I was at at the time. That was the way I could, I could guarantee I could get the school I wanted, the training I wanted, and all the extra stuff I wanted without having to mess with um, like shitty recruiters and stuff like that. Because with the National Guard, you're getting, you're, you're getting state slots. And I was in Iowa. They get the same amount of state slots for some schools as like California or Michigan does, but a smaller population. So it was easier to get schools that I wanted. Then I went back to active duty from there. So that's how I kind of backdoored my way to get all the cool stuff that I wanted when I was, uh, so I could go in the army with all the tools that I needed. So yeah, that was it. Um, I wanted to be in the army. I always wanted, I knew that I needed to do that. It was one of the things I needed to check off on my, on my list of man things I needed to do. And uh, I was never planning on making a career out of it. I was never planning for that to be uh, like a 20 year thing, but I knew that was something I wanted to do. I knew there was a wars, both wars were going on and that I had to be involved because regardless of the politics, my country needed me, you know? Um, so that, that's it. That's where I would, my head was at. Man, that, that does change things. And I feel like it's kind of silly when we can look back at it and it's not to make light of drunk driving or anything that involves alcohol. Uh, but at the same yeah. point, it, it does suck when you are so young, you make kind of a mistake, but you still want to do something good for your country. And I, I think it's a nice note to your persistence that you were not only able to find a way to do it, um, but that you, you felt, especially at that time, as I felt a lot of people really did when you saw a lot of people signing up and, and wanting to do their part to do something. Um, but I, right. I can only imagine how much that would have played on your conscience to feel like that was helping or hindering you at a time when you really wanted to be there. So kudos to you for finding a way right. to, to push through that and, and still persisting to get somewhere that it really did look like it set forth all of the things that have made you a professional. Um, when that does happen though, w w tell us about that experience. What was that like? And, and where were you and, how did that all come together and what do you have like solid memories there? Because there's a connecting tissue that we're going to get to with the documentary, but I just want to get a little bit of the background of what the full experience was like for your perspective. Uh, uh, from not, uh, what happened on nine 11 or oh, like, no, no, how no, no, that no, no, no. I'm saying like after like once you were in the military, like what was that experience like? Because, you ended up going oh, okay, back to professional wrestling afterwards and you ended up going to jujitsu and yeah. all of those things, but you were also teaching I'm... combatives. It was a whole major experience. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested in this whole manless thing that I, I don't have. That I seem like I need to put together. That's such a, well, <laughs> it's a, such a yeah, heavy box think... I have on that list. You, you look at stuff and everybody, okay. Like the, the great man adventures that people have climb a mountain, build a house, go to war, you know, all the things that are like, I don't want to say stereotypical man things, but they're kind of stereotypical man things, you know, uh, ride a Harley over a hundred miles an hour, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff, all that dumb stuff that guys say they do that most guys never did, but some guys actually went and did, you know what I mean? So that other people can tell the stories about. So it's stuff like that. Like, um, 
that was one of the things I wanted to do. I wanted to be in the military. I wanted to have gone to war. I wanted to, um, have done other war things, you know what I mean? With, with being in the military. And that was, for me, that was, uh, one of the things I just felt like I needed to do. And so the man, I guess the man list or whatever, that's what it is. It's like, um, for me, there was, what was it? It was win a world championship at something. There was, um, compete in a bodybuilding competition. There was competing on a WWF ring, which is WWE now. There's, um, a whole bunch of stuff. I don't have the list. Sorry, excuse me. I don't have the list in front of me right now, but it was a whole bunch of stuff. Just like things that like were bullet points of eclectic things that I wanted to have done. Um, one of them, ironically enough, I got to do when I went to Moscow in 2016 was drink all the whiskey in a Moscow strip club. <laughs> and so, you know, that was, that was uh, one that I, I was like, I wrote it. I was like 16 years old when I wrote it. And so I was like, yeah, this probably will never happen. And there I was, I was, um, it was in 2016 in March, I was at um, the representing Team USA at the A. Carlampia World Thumbo Cup. And after I fought that day, I went to the bar and I drank all the whiskey in the Virgins in um, Moscow. That is so, so specific. It's such a specific thing. Most people are just like, just get to Russia. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to well, you know, read you like... out what my list is. I mean, I have mine from when I was 16. It was very simple. Uh, right? But it just goes to show how different our lives are. Uh, my man list was... Uh, learn how to tie a tie, change a tire, and talk shit to a quarterback from a shitty team on the field. I've lived a good life, and I feel I've I've supplemented all of those oh, yeah. dreams. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, so my dad growing up was a uh, he he uh, he was in the military, obviously, and my dad rode Harley's and all that stuff back before it was cool. Um, when in the seventies and in the like. The, late sixties, early seventies, and then into the early eighties before he went in the military. And he was a long haired biker dude and, uh, hung out with a lot of the outlaw biker type guys. Right. So my early upbringing was influenced a lot by those kind of stories growing up. So I was like, okay, well, everybody wants to be that, be their dad in some form or fashion. And some of us want to do more things than our dad. Right. So that was kind of my thing was like, okay, well, um, I think at the time, why I picked Moscow and why I picked whiskey and stuff. My dad drank whiskey and uh, I knew I wanted to go to Moscow. The cold war was over. And I knew like, because I think it had to do with street fighter, honestly, that Zangief was, um, he was from Moscow. I think that all is it. That's all together. Can I, I believe okay. that's when like street fighter two came out. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I just, I need to listen. I try not to break kayfabe on the show too often, Yeah, but um, you know how Santa Claus isn't real. Yeah, I know. Okay. I, know. I just, again, yeah. listen, Mike, someone has to do it because we have a Zangief. Like, there's Rusev. He's kind of like professional wrestler Zangief. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, you know what? Live your dreams. I guess that's what I'm going to say oh, here. You throw a Hadouken. That's serious. Come on, man. <laughs> how, how, how dare I, you discredit that? I do do a Cyclone Powerbomb, though. I, so I believe there is that. Sonic. Oh yeah, I was actually I saw a clip of that. Yeah, you throw yeah. dudes around. I want to make something very clear <laughs> to you though. You're at a size though where you don't get the choice. You have to do the big man moves. I'm at that size when I was That's kid true. and I was yeah. like wrestling and even when I'm doing like nonsense when I'm like with the guys in jujitsu, I'm like, oh no, I'm the technician. My guy was Bret Hart growing up. Right. 
So, you know, Dean Malenko, Bret yeah. Hart, those are the guys who I was like, before I knew I was going to do jujitsu, I knew I was going to do jujitsu. And so anytime somebody's like, right. hey, I want to do this move, I was like, they'll like look at me and they're like, hey, Raph, can you powerbomb me? I was like, ooh, you're too heavy. Nah, nah, dude. You got to be about 145 or below or else uh, you're going into cement and I can't hold you. But I want to make sure that we're, <laughs> we're covering this because as you start to talk about the idea of – you know, this man list, you, you do the army. Now you're about to come back home. And I think there's something really great about this documentary. It is you and two other individuals who are combating their PTSD through professional wrestling. I think that on paper is something that people need to at least watch to understand a little bit more about uh, our military and more so about people who, want to do something outside of that realm and who are looking to do stuff when they get back to, you know, this kind of life. Tell us how that came together. Right. And how did you find other people who randomly also wanted to professional wrestle? Because if you're doing the statistical odds, it's not everybody who wants to live that life. <laughs> okay. So um, we were at a, I was at a pro wrestling show and, um, in Colleen, Texas. And at the time I was in the process of, uh, I was just doing jujitsu. I had found the school that I kind of wanted to go to in Pflugerville, but there was a show in Colleen and all the pro wrestlers were looking at me like, who's that dude? Cause I'm bigger than all the guys on the show. And I'm sitting there and I'm wearing a tank top and, uh, wearing a tank top, drinking a beer, sitting next to my, my girlfriend at the time. And she's like, you're bigger than all these guys. Why aren't you doing this? I'm like, cause I have to go to school for it. I haven't wrestled in like, been like 12 years you know come on i've explained this to you and then she got she's a little uh rowdy hispanic chick and she'd be screaming and yelling and all that stuff uh, you could have just said you had a hispanic chick because... we understand yeah. name is sad girl no 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 uh she was her name was crazy <laughs> but uh so uh we wound up um i went to the show in waco and it was heart of texas wrestling and they were at the melody ranch so uh, I walk in and there's another giant dude with a beard and he's, and he looks at me and I look at him and uh, he said something and I'm like, you're, you're Norwegian, aren't you? And he goes, yeah, well, gave it away. I'm like the big fucking Norwegian tattoo on your shoulder or on, on the inside of your arm. He goes, ha, ha, yeah. And then he goes, Where, who are you with? I'm, Cause I have a big Sergeant Stripes tattooed on my forearm. And I was, and we started talking back and forth and then he was, that's Jan. That was the guy that, who basically the Valhalla club was his idea. And uh, Bryson, at that time, they were getting ready to bring me in as his, as his tag team partner because we somebody thought that we kind of look alike. I, I I don't see it really, but that we kind of resemble each other enough to be brothers. So that's how the whole thing came about. Um, me and Bryson already kind of knew each other, and me and Jan met each other. And Jan was talking to the other veterans because there was about three or four of us other than me and Jan that were veterans that were doing pro wrestling at the time. And the way that they thought it, they, they thought that me and Bryson and Jan all had the, not necessarily the, the most compelling stories, but we were able to articulate ourselves the, the best way to get the message out there and not get in, in our own way of telling the story as opposed to letting the story go and keeping ourselves out of the way, if that makes sense. No. So um, I'm just, I need to get a minute on that. They thought you couldn't tell your own stories or uh, can we They thought that? that the other guys could. Okay, so they felt like me and Bryson and Jan could all tell the story without go. being overly self-conscious or without 
getting in the way and saying, well, but you understand, blah, 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 or, well, this is different. You know what I mean? I so we could actually get the point across and explain it to somebody because I just failed to do it right now, right? It, hey, listen, so, um, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure because <laughs> the way I'm listening to this, that aside, is that, you know, you are articulate, you tell a great story. And if somebody comes up to you and is just like, you know what, dude, I don't think you got a good story. I'm like, then who the fuck does? <laughs> like if you don't have a good enough story, I might as well be like, nope, it's not gonna happen here. You know, they're just like, oh, a guy who does uh, sambo, judo, wrestling, jujitsu, army, ugh, that old thing. Get him away from me. I know, right? Well, the the only cool part about that, all that middle part, is that I did the uh, I won pants at brown belt, and then I the next Friday I was in Moscow at the the World Cup. So that was, that's my big, uh, aggro competitor story. I tell you, I tell you what, I would not have done it again. That was fucking miserable. Uh, Texas to California, California to Texas, to, to Detroit, to Amsterdam, to Paris, to Moscow, to Moscow, to Paris, to Amsterdam, to Atlanta, to Texas. That was not very much fun. I was so jet lagged. Like I didn't know what what time zone I was in for about a week after that. Yo, son, I've heard cargo get treated better than you did on that flight. No, didn't didn't even find <laughs> yeah. San Diego the whole way. <laughs> no, uh-uh. I did find, uh, well, okay, so also the problem was is that when I got, I landed in Paris on the way out of Moscow, that was when they had that shooting in Paris. Oh, Jesus. That terrorist attack. Yeah. All, that was when I was in Paris. The the flight before that, when I was in Moscow, the second day of the world the of the World Cup, yeah, there was a terrorist attack like threatened on the building, so I couldn't get to the building. I had to like walk checkpoint to checkpoint through the Russian police, and I don't speak Russian, guys. Like I got спасибо, thank you, and no paruski, paninglizi, not in Russian, please in English. That's all I got. <laughs> That's all of my Russian. And I'm I'm trying to talk to this taxi driver to dump me off at that building over there that I can see, and he's trying to tell me. I can't because there's these police checkpoints and they'll fucking shoot me. So we're having, yeah, it was just terrible. And uh, then we, I finally got to the building and drank a bunch more whiskey and was having a good old time. But there was still, it was all crazy. Everything was sideways. Jesus Christ. So when did your military instinct have to calm down at that point? I mean, I, I, never, never that it be I was about to say, I don't think it can. Yeah. I think that's always, it's always going to be a part of you. So, okay. So, I know what American checkpoints are like, right, in Iraq. And um, I, ha- I know that the rules of engagement are a little bit fucky, especially when you have a confirmed terrorist attack. And so I can imagine these Russian police are a little bit, a little bit more skittish, right? And so I'm a kind of a large fella carrying a backpack, running up to a checkpoint, and I don't speak Russian. This is just an awkward situation to find myself in, you know what I mean? So Yeah, well, at um, least you're aware yeah. of it. You know where you're at. That, I mean, well, a- yeah. So I put, I put my Team USA hoodie on. So I've got giant USA on my chest and giant USA on my back. I've got my badge for the tournament that shows that I'm a competitor. The problem is it's like negative 20 degrees in Moscow, and I'm running around in jeans and, a, and like a tracksuit top so I don't get shot. Trying to get to this building where I can go inside, and it was just so fucking it was crazy. I mean, that like if I ever have a movie, that's got to be one of the scenes because I'm trying to do this also hungover. Yeah, was this so, before, before or after the whiskey? This, I was up drinking all night and then had to go meet my team at the, the at the venue. I um I got done fighting. We left the tournament at ten o'clock on that Tuesday, 
and I didn't stop drinking until eight o'clock in the morning when they kicked me out of the bar on, on Wednesday morning. And then I went back to the hotel, took a shower and changed and went and got, uh, I missed the bus and I got on a, a cab and went to the venue at Luzneki stadium. And that's how I wound up going, like dealing with the checkpoints and the, the, um, I guess they were MVD. They were like the, the Russian, uh, FBI, like police guy. It was, uh, it was very interesting. Can I ask this? And again, this is maybe pointing out the differences between me and you. Did I hear this right? That during your time to compete, that's when you decide to go ham on some whiskey. No, I fought, I got done fighting the first day. Okay. I, um, the first, I, I showed up on Monday night. I fought Tuesday. Tuesday night, I went drinking. Wednesday, I went back to support the team. Wednesday night, I went out again. And then Thursday morning, I left. Because the reason I have to clarify is I was just in Texas recently. And uh, there is yeah. a great place that uh, I think it's called Dark Clan. And they have a beer jitsu sort of event. So it's a three-hour open oh, map yeah. for 20 bucks. You get uh, – or 30 bucks, something like that. You get uh, two beers from a really good brewery out that way. And uh, it's just an yeah. open mat to train. And somebody asked me – Oh, I yeah. Was, those dudes are great. I love, love them, dude. They were so nice. And they asked me, they're like, do you, do you like drink while you're training? And I was like, not me. They might be. You can't even, ha- you can't even handle a Snickers and train. What are you talking? Mike, yeah, so Mike, it's a little different, dude. Thing, I know? really wish that you would understand what it's like to do some form of of like grappling training, having oh, anything any kind physical, of... of anything physical. You want Grappling's to be a little different because <laughs> no, because grappling's a little different because someone's trying to simulate murder on you. And yet, no, I'm the you know, yeah. I'm the guy that shows up for wrestling class in high school, and I'm bummed that there isn't like an actual like WWE ring, and wondering why it's not. <laughs> and I mean, that's the question I have for you, though, Eddie. Is you know you're doing all these things which are combat kind of sports in multiple forms, and so how is it that you're not doing professional wrestling moves on these poor poor people that you're competing or training with? Well, it's it's. Actually, for me, it's the other way around. I uh, grappled first. I did judo. And then so you got your main derivative sport of sambo and jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. or Brazilian jiu-jitsu and sambo is judo, right? Mm-hmm. So I just went back to my main derivative uh, white belt judo stuff. And that's what I've used all the way through Brazilian jiu-jitsu and sambo to be successful. In pro wrestling, um, I have a different style than a lot of people. Um, I've, it's been I've been told that it's more... How do you say it? I have a Japanese shoot wrestling style of pro wrestling. Dude. So I use a lot. It's, yeah. I think it's very similar to Jeff Cobb, the Jeff Cobb, Matt Riddle style of, you know, the yeah. side grapples and side takedowns and stuff. Yeah. And it's, um, it's more closely related to my MMA style and to my, my actual fighting style. So what winds up happening is I'll work with a guy who's never grappled for real in his life. And we're going to do a couple moves. And I have a couple of things that I do that only I do. One of them, I call it, um, it's a, it's a, it's a Russian tie suplex is what it is. Okay. It's, uh, it starts out as my standard issue Russian tie from uh, nogi grappling. But what I do is I turn it into a snap suplex mm-hmm. in pro wrestling. And I'm the only guy that does that. Uh, Cause I came up with it. So I mean, as for about six more months and then everybody will start doing it. But <laughs> so I do that. I take them over the top. I work them back up to their feet. And I do it as a set of three, like how, um, Taz and a lot of those guys would do it with a belly to back suplex. Yep. So I use a lot of my own personal stuff in this that other people don't, which is 
how I came into using the um, the Zangief super combo, the um, German suplex into the Cyclone powerbomb. Because I've never seen anybody do it. I'm like, I bet I can make that work. And so that's what I started doing here recently. I just want to know what what aspect of the whiskey bottle do you decide that's going to be the move that you're going to start trying to hit on a regular? Honestly, that was at the gym between sets. Um, I was, uh, one of my buddies said, Hey, check this out. And he sent me the Zangus super combo. Cause he's a, he's a street fighter nerd. And, uh, and I watched it like, like five times and I finished my set and watched it like five more times. And then I sent it to one of my buddies and I'm like, Hey, can I walk through this with you? He goes, what? I'm like this. What do you mean? That there, right there, what he's doing. <laughs> uh, okay. 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 So we, we had a match. Uh, that Saturday. So we drove to Houston and I was trying to explain it to him and we walked through it in my parking lot, like what I wanted to do and how I saw the movements being in my head. And he goes, oh, okay, it makes way more sense now. Yeah, we'll try it. So we walked through it a couple of times and then in the match, I hit it and the crowd went just sideways. They're like, oh my, what? Oh, oh, that's, oh. And I'm like, yes, then it was perfect. And that's then how um, I, I did how it. I feel when I actually hit it in the video game. Are you kidding me? It's hard enough to do on it. It's hard I, enough to do on a joystick, let alone on somebody else. It's way easier to do it in real life. Way easier. If you say so, my man. I listen. The reason why I'm asking the question about the training, though, is is I know even today, uh, one of my friends, he was like, "Oh, my neck hurts," and like he knows the minute he said his <laughs> neck hurts, I was like. Oh, is your neck okay? And he's just like, Raph, please don't. And I'm like, well, now I have to put you in a crippler crossface. And I was like, this will help your neck. I promise you. And so that's just oh, yeah. my idiot friends that like I'm goofing around with. When you're right. doing jujitsu training, you have the ability to pull off a move like that. So I know that we like to build on this facade of like, ah, oh, little man's going to come through. But if big man wants to powerbomb you, and can and benches about a good 415 you're going up in the air my friend so that's why i ask oh, yeah. you and your friends when you are doing this how much in fear do your training partners live from getting hit with any professional wrestling move honestly a lot of my buddies there um when, when i train with them and stuff like that i just switched gyms so i was at gracie humida for a long time and i had some issues with them now i'm at brazilian top team nice at uh, i'm brazilian top team here in san antonio and uh, a lot of the, a lot of the guys give me crap, whatever, about being a pro wrestler and stuff like that. And then I'll show them. I'm like, oh, check it out. This is my this is one of my suplexes that I do. And I'll do the the regular um, Russian Thai suplex mm-hmm. and the way I do it in in wrestling. And they're like, that's really it. I'm like, yeah. The only difference is if I stop squat and pop my hips up, you go over my head as opposed to rolling through my shoulder. Correct. And he goes, oh, well, oh, oh okay, yeah. And then pretty much I'm a big goof when I'm in, when I'm training, anyways. I don't take myself that serious, so I'm not really that – like, especially when I'm training. If I'm just training to train – now, if I'm getting ready for a tournament or I'm getting ready for something, it's a little different. But day-to-day, just training to keep the keep the tool sharp, I'm a lot different person. I, I'm a I big, would, mellow dude. I would imagine that, yes. I've seen your matches. I've seen both your wrestling matches and your jiu-jitsu <laughs> matches. I don't really think you get to get away with, oh, I'm just an easygoing guy, and I'm like, nope. Nope, seen both. They are quite good. They check well, out. you know, there's there's this standard level of aggression, you know, and mm-hmm. my standard level of aggression is a little bit higher than some other people's. Absolutely, absolutely. No, the, it's fine. Yours is a murder-death the, rate. What's the joke? Um, what the hell was it? Uh, it was a joke uh, one of my buddies told me. 
and it was from a demolition man. <laughs> and the guy cut my, I did the match and I hit the, it was in uh, Naga this year at Naga worlds. And the guy straight armed me reached over the top and I did a figure four arm bar while he was standing, popped him up to like get his weight off the ground. And he, he pulled guard. So I just started putting the arm bar in as I set, set his back on the ground. He taps, I let him up. I get over to the side and my buddy goes, we're police officers. We're not trained to handle that kind of violence. And it was, I'm like, shut up, Rob Snyder. That's amazing. Like, oh my God. <laughs> that was, that was the line from demolition, man. I'm like, I'm trying to be serious. I'm not trying to laugh at this guy. Cause that, and that's what it looks like. Cause I'm laughing as I'm coming off the mat. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be an asshole, but this guy just told me this joke and I'm really, really sorry. <laughs> it just felt like an asshole so bad. I think I saw that, that match. Like, is that match on your YouTube? Yeah, it is. It's really confusing yeah, it if you don't know jujitsu what just happened there because it looks like, it, to the untrained eye, it looks like nothing's happening except uh, it hurts like fuck, to put it mildly. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's a terrible position even though it looks like nothing's really happening. And uh, the first time I was just kind of like very loosely glancing at it and I remembered having to go back and being like, Oh damn, son! That's that's really proficient. Because the guy just looks like, yeah, he got me with that. Uh, what are you gonna do, man? Well, you watch the referee. Uh, the referee, he um he like he, in that part like as we're walking away after he, he stops the match, he um lifts his shoulders, like shrugs his shoulders and like shudders. He's like, yeah. <laughs> and he, as he's walking away. And afterwards, he goes, I, "I thank you for not breaking that guy's arm." I'm like, "Oh no, I wasn't going to break his arm. If he didn't tap, I was just going to do something else." Yeah. And yeah. he goes, "Geez, man, that was geez." And he just watched the other <laughs> match, and I'm like, "Well, sorry, I, I came, I came to fight. I don't know what you want me to say." I hear you. He goes, "No, no, it's it's fine. I just appreciate you not breaking anybody on my." on my mat i'm like oh no no problem man <laughs> this poor guy's like uh he's got one of those signs back at his referee position that's like 29 days without an incident and he has to go back and wipe it off yeah. and be like ee! sorry guys just a beast out there flip the thing back to zero <laughs> zero days without an incident hey everybody we hope that you love the first installment of our interview with one eddie Wittern. He's an amazing dude. Just listen to that. The dude's got stories for days. And so we're so excited about uh, this interview that we broke it up into two parts. And you will be able to hear that second part a little bit later this week. So look out for that on our website. That is uh, heelsection.com. You can also go to iTunes. And if you're going to iTunes, I mean, you might as well stop and give us a review there. I'm not saying you have to give us a five-star rating, but it's kind of a dick move if you don't. So do that, and then you can also follow us on Instagram, Real Heel Section, on Facebook, Real Heel Section, and of course, on the Twitter, because we have thoughts on there as well. Go to any one of those social media outlets and uh, start to follow us, and, and really let us know what it is that you love about this show, uh, because you guys are shaping it as we're making it go along. Also be on the lookout, tomorrow we are going to have a very special installment, one of our little mini-sodes. Uh, it's going to come out where Mike and I talk about a very cool match that uh, we thought would be fun to discuss with you all. So keep a lookout for that. And I think that's going to do it for this installment. Again, please look out for part two of our interview with Eddie Wintern, which gets even crazier because he tells us even more awesome stories about how the Valhalla Club documentary came to be, some more crazy Russian shit, and even more pro wrestling amazingness so we hope you guys will tune in until then this is Rafa Sparza saying 
Have a great rest of your day.